Welcome to the interior design business. My name is Jeff Hayward and today we're taking a detailed look at some of the common lighting design issues facing interior designers with advice on how to deal with them from Luke Thomas, design director at John Cullen Lighting. Interior designers and their clients often underestimate the importance of lighting. Simply put, it seems senseless to spend time, energy and lots of money designing and installing beautiful interiors if you cannot see them properly. So, how can interior designers avoid some common pitfalls and create the right lighting for their projects? Let's find out. Welcome to the interior design business. Thanks for joining us today, Luke. Can you briefly tell us a bit about you and your background? Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm the design director at John Cullen Lighting. Um, we have two arms to the business. One is uh, the supply side, but we also offer lighting design um, systems as well. So uh, I run the design team um, and we work with interior designers and architects and private clients as well to uh, create uh, lighting uh, schemes for them. So rather than just sourcing a light fitting and, and putting it into the, the property, uh, we can actually help with um, some solution-led uh, designs which make the space feel and look uh, amazing. So we're trying to improve your, the experience of those spaces. Excellent. For anybody who doesn't know about John Cullen, where are the showrooms that you have available if people want to check out what you can do? Our main headquarters is uh, on the King's Road uh, in London, um, and that's where the origins of the business are. Um, so you can pop in to see us there for any London-based interior designers. But we've also got uh, a base in Dubai as well. And we have a showroom um, set up in a villa over there uh, where we can help clients from that um, the Middle East region. And then we've also got uh, a shared um, space in Paris as well. So we're quite uh, a global company now. Very good. Now, today we're going to address five of the most common challenges facing interior designers working with lighting schemes. So let's begin at the beginning. When should designers start to think about lighting for their projects? I think you need to be considering lighting from the very early concept stages um, of a design project. There are some critical pieces of the lighting uh, schemes which may actually involve redesigning the architecture. So if we're talking about maybe having a, a coffered ceiling in a room with lighting. You know, that's something that needs to be integrated into the designs from an early stage um, or a slot detail running along the wall, skimming down. We have to know about those things during the very early stages. So it's worth, from a concept design point of view, being involved at the start. But there's not that much that we can do as lighting designers until we know what we're lighting. So there's no point us coming in with a, a blank page because we can give some advice and some ideas, but really we need to understand the furniture layouts. Ideally, we need to understand the types of finishes and materials that we're going to be lighting. Um, and we need, need to know from the client how they're going to live in this space as well. You know, how are they going to operate? What's important to them? Where are the key pieces um, uh, and focal points of the room going to be? And then that helps us to then generate the lighting design. So I would say come in at an early stage for a concept and then we detail it out as the interiors and the architecture become more detailed. What are the issues that arise if you're brought in too late into a project? I think if you come in too late then um, the, the problem is that you're most likely to need to make compromises 
on the quality of your design. And that can mean um, you're fixed on positions for lighting or the type of lighting that you can have or the type of dimming as well. Um, and it might mean that you can't integrate lighting where you might have otherwise wanted to. So um, for a new build project, for example, if we come in after they've screeded the floor, it can be really difficult for you to integrate some floor recessed uplighters because they would have to then um, channel that out of the concrete in the floor and maybe there's underfloor heating pipes in there and they really don't want to risk um, uh, bursting one of those if it's wet underfloor. So um, it really, we do need to come in early. We can do something if we come in late, um, but um, earlier is better, definitely. So as lighting is so intangible, what do you think are the key considerations designers need to take account of to absolutely get it right? Yeah, it is intangible. Um, it's not like um, a floor finish or a fabric where you can go to a showroom and you can touch it and you can send a sample to, to the client to easily evaluate. With lighting, um, you've got the light fitting in the ceiling and then you've got the effect of the light on a surface you don't see anything in between um, and you can take a sample but until you see how that actually illuminates the particular interiors that you're going to be having in the property it's really difficult to sometimes visualize it i think the best um, solution for that is to try to experience the light as best you can um, you know not looking at a light fitting on a data sheet or on a website you know going to a showroom um, experiencing the light in reality and seeing how it changes your perception of a space, how it reflects off of different materials, and you get a much better understanding then of what you're going to get. Um, because, you know, looking at lumens and color rendering uh, or color temperature figures can be very confusing. And sometimes you, you start getting carried away with, oh, you know, this fitting gives me five more lumens than that one. Therefore, you know, I should go with that. But there's so much more to the quality of the light um, that you can get uh, and the way it can play on surfaces that it's really best to, to see in reality. And we're talking about the quality of the light before we even get to what the fixture might look like or the, the decorative nature of that light fitting might, might be. Yeah, the, the quality of the light um, is really paramount. Um, when we're talking about high-end um, projects, the, the client is not going to accept feeling within the room which is flat and dull um, and they may not understand that a good quality light fitting is going to give them the vibrancy um, that they're looking for um, quite often lighting's left as an afterthought or it's one of the first things that's cut out of a project but in fact if you use a, a poor quality light fitting in a luxury interior it can actually really bring down that interior scheme um, so if you've got a poor color rendering light source what it does is it it saps the life out of the colors uh, within a project. Really uh, important if you've got different fabrics and finishes, but also artwork. Um, we've got some clients with some amazing collections of art, but if you can't see the true color within those pieces of artwork, you're not seeing what the artist intended you to see. Um, and that's why it's really important to look at these small details and make sure that you get it right so that the room feels and looks good. And, and really you shouldn't notice that it's the lighting doing that, um, it should be very subtle and discreet, um, but it's really going to make a very big impact. And how easy is it for designers to get those experiences of what lighting might look like on their projects? It can be challenging. Um, obviously, the John Cullen showroom is a great place to come 
um, as a designer, um, you can come and view the fittings. And it's also a great place to bring a client as well. If you've got a client who's not really sure about what lighting can offer them on a project, but you know as a designer that it's going to make all the difference, bring them into the showroom because once they've seen it, almost every time they leave the, the showroom, they're convinced by the power of the light and the, the necessity to have it on their project and really pay close attention to it. Um, the other option you can do um, if, you know, the, if the particular showroom is not accessible for you is to order samples of different light fittings. So if you're doing a refurbishment of a property where the client has existing furniture or existing art on the walls, you could order a couple of samples of the spotlight or some LED strips and things, and you can actually test them out in situ. Um, you can go to the extent of doing some 3D visuals and, and things like that. Um, and putting lights into um, computer programs. But I think that's that still gives you a number on a page or just a visual representation. But to actually feel and experience the light is is something else and it's, it's more powerful. Are there any uh, spaces that you recommend designers visit uh, that might be public spaces? I don't know, hotels, commercial um, spaces that they can go to to see the difference between average lighting and, and really good lighting? You can really tell when uh, a project has had a lighting designer on it. Um, if you go to the Corinthia Hotel, for example, um, in, uh, in Soho, um, there you'll see some really amazing lighting installations and you can see how the lighting's been layered within the space. And to be honest, once you understand what lighting does on a project, if you go to a space which doesn't have good lighting, you really notice it. It stands out like a sore thumb. A good lighting scheme you shouldn't notice. You should just see this amazing interiors and your experience of the space should be enhanced because of it. The consumer and interior designers and architects are becoming more aware of how important lighting is and why you should invest in it on a project and how it can enhance what you're doing. Um, for an interior designer and architect, I think it's key. You know, it makes what they do look better. Um, and if you get it wrong, then it can drag everything down. Um, but yeah, we run a series of CPDs um, and masterclasses and workshops uh, where professionals and consumers can come to visit us. And we talk to them about uh, lighting and what the key considerations are when selecting light sources, how to use the fitting in different spaces because we know ev not everyone's going to come and use our design service but you can still use some consciousness of good lighting to be able to apply it yourself on projects as well and then we can support you with that as well architectural lighting on one hand decorative lighting on the other how do you blend the two together to create a really nice scheme Really important to consider both. Um, decorative lighting is the sort of visual statement piece um, of the interior lighting scheme, and it should be creating a link between the interiors and the lighting. So uh, it needs to work between the two. But the, the decorative lighting doesn't always give you light to actually light the space. Quite often, those pieces are sculptural pieces um, or they're almost like a work of art in fact. Um, so you need architectural lighting to supplement that. And your architectural lighting um, will be um, hopefully as discreet as possible. It's the lighting which shouldn't be seen. It should be integrated into the architecture. Um, you should be using low glare fittings where you don't see the light source. 
ideally what you see is just the effect of the light so that could even be just um, a very simple spotlight on the ceiling with a baffle so that the light source is concealed and then when you walk into the space you just see a piece of art illuminated on the wall and that catches your attention obviously each of those elements of the lighting um, system should be controlled independently. So you don't want to be dimming your decorative lighting with your spotlights because they're going to dim at different rates. And if you're dimming them all together, you've got no real opportunity to create a different mood or different scene within the room. So if you have them on different circuits, um, quite often in the evening, uh, if I'm setting an evening scene, I'll dim down the down lights, maybe even turn them off. And then we've got the, the decorative lighting from your chandeliers, your table lamps, which is going to give you more warmth and atmosphere in the room and just a really nice soft uh, glow of light. And then you might have a few accent lights. So, for example, a couple of up lights on the fireplace or some joinery lighting, which is going to add you a little bit of uh, drama uh, and excitement within the room. Do designers come to you and say, I've got so much choice, I literally cannot make a decision is that is that quite common yeah i think even for me as a designer it's one of the frustrating things is that it's it's not like maths where two plus two equals four you know it's there's no science behind it it's a very subjective uh field um there is no right and wrong um we're always designing um bespoke solutions and i think the key for me is that you're taking into consideration the property as a unique location and also the 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 individual who's going to be living there as well because you've got to design around those two elements you can't come in and just do what you've done on another project because it's not going to work um each project is completely unique and I think we're almost always guided by those problems and unique aspects which we're confronted with. You know, if we've got um, a textured surface on a wall, you know, we could light it this way or we could light it that way. Sometimes we might do a test and provide a couple of options for the client um, and then they can give their input as well. And we, we design the system as a, as a team rather than as an individual. And I think that's really good is that collaboration um, but yeah, there, there are so many options, particularly with decorative lighting. Indeed, indeed. Are there any big no-nos for choosing decorative lighting? Yes, there's definitely some no-nos. And we come up uh, against a, quite a few problems with decorative lighting. Firstly, you know, if that light source can't dim. Um, that's going to cause us a real issue uh, because you might want full power lighting during the day. But in the evening, if you've got a light source and you've got, um, you know, 26 different bulbs in it and you can't dim it, it's not going to be very atmospheric in the evening. So you usually have to just turn it off at the nighttime in order to create more of a mood within your room. So dimming, really, really important. Um, also, a lot of decorative uh, manufacturers don't really consider the quality of the light that they're using within that decorative light. Um, if that um, manufacturer is not supplying you with information about the colour temperature, about the colour rendering and the dimming type, then for me, that's a bit of a red flag. Um, that the quality of the light's not going to be there. Um, we need those things to work in conjunction with the rest of the room. Because again, if you have a, a pendant in the middle and it's, it's quite a bright one, it can give you a lot of light into the room. And if it's the wrong colour or it's um, the wrong quality of light, again, it can ruin the whole interior scheme. Um, and so you really have to consider those things in advance. And what about architectural lighting? Any any things that uh, designers need to avoid there? 
Yeah, with your architectural lighting, um, the classic approach would be to come in and do a grid of downlights on the ceiling. So we still get asked by people, you know, my room is five meters by four meters. How many spotlights do I need? You know, and that's that's not really lighting design. You know, that's lighting by numbers and providing a certain amount of illumination in a space. But if you do that, you just have a blanket of light across the room, whereas a good lighting design will create pockets of light. It will be layered. Um, so you need areas which are less well lit. So the things you light really stand out and become a focal point. Um, so we're trying to position the lights around uh, particular features. Um, and, and that's probably the big mistake that a lot of people make is trying to think that um, lights need to be lined up on the ceiling in a, an, uh, an even um, grid. But you really need to break away from that. If you use a, a discrete light source, then your effect, your eye is just totally drawn to the effect of the light instead of the ceiling itself. I think that's a really key point. Unobtrusive lighting that's all about the light that you see rather than the fixture itself. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, you don't. A lot of people will still put you know stainless steel or chrome down lights in in the ceiling. Um, for me, if you've got a white ceiling, you want a white down light, and you want it to be as simple as possible because I'm not interested about the downlight in the ceiling. And I don't want um, guests coming to my home to be looking up at the ceiling and thinking, wow, they're nice spotlights. I want them to come in and think, hey, this space feels great. You know, it's a nice interiors. I like that picture on the wall. I love that vase of flowers on the coffee table. And I want that to be the attention drawer, not the ceiling itself. And another thing to consider really is um, where you're integrating lighting. So, one thing is to put spotlights into the ceiling in, in specific locations to highlight features, but you're also, with a, a layered lighting system, probably going to be introducing lighting into a joinery feature or an architectural feature. And for those um, effects, it's really important to coordinate the lighting design with the joinery company, with the architect, and for everybody to be expecting the same thing. Um, so it does create or does require um, that level of um, talking and communication uh, between all the parties involved to make sure that it, it works really well. Sometimes it will require a test um, to make sure that we're not going to get glare or shadow lines, or we're not going to be able to see the light source. Um, other times it means that the architect will send us um, a drawing and we'll sketch and annotate over the top of it to show how we want the lighting to be incorporated. Uh, but if you spend the time to make sure that you get it right, then you'll benefit from the effects at the end. If you're too late into that conversation, what compromises do you find you, you have to make? Yeah, the compromises are that you might be having to put lights um, in positions where they're not going to be able to create the effect that you wanted to. Um, sometimes um, we, we put a light source into a design and then the, the joinery design then develops after that point. But no one comes back to us to say, actually, we've now decided that this joinery unit will be mirrored inside. And of course, once you mirror the inside, you know, it becomes more difficult to conceal your light sources. So you end up seeing reflections of lights, which you hadn't intended to. And that ruins the effect a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's not ideal. And um, it's always best to, to try and get these things ironed out early on. Again, communication and think about what you're doing as early as possible in the process. If you have layers of lighting, how do you 
manage to deliver that without having banks of switches on the walls? Yeah, it's a, it's a common problem for for most clients because the typical setup for everybody these days is you have an open plan living space. Everybody wants open plan. And that will usually be a kitchen, a living room and a dining room. Um, but that is three different rooms. Um, and if we were to do a nice layered lighting scheme for a living room, we're probably going to have maybe four circuits in that space, maybe four for the dining room as well and maybe six or seven for the kitchen. When you knock down the walls between those rooms and you make it one big space, you've still got those three different elements with their own unique requirements. Uh, and you end up with 12 or more circuits of lighting. And there's no way that you could have 12 dimmer knobs on the wall as you come into the room, because first of all, it's gonna spend about two minutes just turning on the lights. Um, and then you've got to dim them down to the, the levels that you want for that particular occasion to create the mood and set your scene. And then when you leave, you've got to go through that same process of remembering which switches do which lights, because uh, some of them will be on, some of them will be off. And then trying to leave the room could take a very long time as well. So I think, you know, those clients who are concerned about control systems being complicated actually manual switching is really complicated in those instances and a control system is the more simple solution because what i want the client to do is walk into the room and they've got four buttons on the wall not 12 and the four buttons are arranged from uh, top to bottom bright afternoon evening and night and then you've got a, a fifth button which is everything off but you've got four scenes there which are tied to particular times of day uh, and you can select the one that's most appropriate for your use. You're going from bright to dark in a really logical um, logical way. And it's going to provide you with preset scenes, which are going to work around you as an individual because you've been involved in the design process. Um, and, you know, at a touch of a button, the whole room is going to change uh, in the way it feels uh, and, and how it looks as well. So for me, control systems are are really, really key. A lot of rooms you can do in a house on manual switching, yes, and a control system is a luxury, but an open plan living space, I think it's very, very difficult to do that unless you use a simple system. And control systems don't need to be overly complicated, do they? No, I think the, the key is that um, the client um, and all the key stakeholders are involved in the design process and how this system is going to work. Uh, most uh, clients are put off a, a control system because they've been to a friend's house or they've been to a hotel and they don't know what button does what, uh, which is understandable um, because that system is not designed around them as, as an individual. Whereas when we're talking about designing for their home, um, we can design it around them and what they want and how they want to live. And we can make sure that they do understand what each of those buttons does. And if we try not to make it too complicated and we make it intuitive, then I think you come up with a really good solution. One other benefit of a control system, of course, is that you can uh, automate the lighting with the outside lighting by bringing in blind control with the lighting control, can't you? Yeah, you can do. Yeah. Well, you can have different layers of complexity when it comes to these control systems. You can have the blinds coming down automatically for different times of day. You can have them tracking the, the setting of the sun so that it prevents any glare. 
Um, or you can just have you know, a separate um, row of buttons on your keypad so that you can control the blinds up and down or at a preset level. Um, and also your exterior lighting, you can have linked to an astronomical clock um, so that it prevents it coming on during the day and wasting energy. And then at nighttime as well, it comes on automatically when you need it. But then maybe come 12 o'clock at night, it reduces the amount of light that you have on again, to prevent, prevent wastage, prevent light pollution, um, and um, also just to reduce the energy bills. And you don't necessarily need all your lights on at one o'clock in the morning. And clients are very keen to spend more time outside, as we all are, having been locked at home for, for the last couple of years. I think we, we all appreciate our garden spaces more. What's your best advice for exterior lighting? Um, with exteriors, it, it sort of depends where you're based, because um if you're in a remote location a little bit of light can go a really long way um whereas if you're in the city then you have a little bit more light pollution that you need to compete with so you need things a little bit brighter my main advice would be to do your exterior lighting just like you would the interior so you're thinking about creating an outside room essentially with the lighting uh, and you'll be using lights to focus on specific features so whereas inside it might be a coffee table outside it could be a particular plant or a tree or a sculpture um, i think it's best to avoid trying to light open spaces like a lawn because um, you end up with a very flat lighting effect and also you've always got the potential for glare because you're likely to have a fitting at high level lighting straight down um, and you're always going to see it so um, again yeah creating an outside room using focused light and layered lighting as well so different circuits to create different moods one thing that i um, quite often um, share with clients um, which i found quite interesting is commissioning for a project which was a cocktail lounge in marlebone and we had a Dali control system for that project. And Dali is not um, particularly common for residential applications. It's more used for um, commercial settings, um, but it's starting to become a little bit more commonplace now. Um, but the Dali system was amazing because it gives you a lot more flexibility and control over the lighting installation. And almost each spotlight you could control independently of another one and you can group them in different ways. But this um, cocktail lounge, um, it was quite a dramatic lighting scene where we had some joinery lighting and then other lights were very narrow beam spotlights down onto these little coffee tables. The coffee tables were marble. Some were white marble and others were green marble. And the white marble um, reflected the light a lot more than the green. The green was quite a dark marble, so it absorbed the light and sucked it in. Um, so when we were lighting with the down lights all on one, one group, those white tables just seemed like they were a lot brighter than the green ones. So using the Dali system, we were able to split that circuit out or that group out and we could control the green tables separately from the white ones. And then we could dim the white tables down further than the green ones and we could then really balance out the lighting scheme. So that's where we've been able to use that um, lighting control system really effectively to absolutely perfect the lighting installation and, and address that very small detail, which actually made it quite a big impact in the space.
Thanks so much, Luke, for your time today. And we hope our audience found that as insightful and useful as I did. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode and please do get in touch on our social channels to share any feedback. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. Thank you for listening. The Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.